But what I noticed through veterans and healthcare workers who've been traumatized before COVID-19, if you look in their eyes, Chris, and you say, good for you, you're so courageous, you got over that. They will look back at you and say, I didn't get over it. Mm. I got past it. Mm -hmm. And you say, what do you mean? And say, I'm not the same. What do you mean? I'm tentative, I'm cautious, I cope, but I'm not fully alive. And what's interesting, when I shared the title with some of the people I've known, uh, especially women who are more in touch with their feelings, they start to cry. Oh, wow. Wow. They said, I said, what are you crying about? I'm going to cry now. And they said, if only, if only what? If only I could heal. I'm not healed. I cope. It's better than not coping, but I'm not healed. Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. Hey guys, welcome back to Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I am your host, Chris Doris, and in the event that you are not getting notified of each of these new, newly released episodes, and if additionally you are not getting my um, daily dose messages sent to your email inbox at 6 a.m. your-ish, your local time, wherever you are in the world, then let's go ahead and rectify that, shall we? by going to ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, L-I-S-T-S, backslash, so ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, put in your name, email, click, resolved. Our guest today was recommended to me by two people who don't even know each other, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, uh, this guy's been all over the world. His name is uh, Dr. Mark... Goulston, I didn't finish the last sentence. He's been all over the world speaking, doing TED Talks. He's like huge in Russia. His, his, well, let me just read you his bio. Okay, he's an executive coach, especially focused on founders and entrepreneurs, formerly UCLA professor of psychiatry, former FBI hostage negotiation trainer, and author of eight books, including Just Listen, which became the top book on listening in the world. His recently released book, which means like yesterday, and this is, I'm recording this on, on uh, December 2nd of 2020. His book, his last book was released yesterday and it's entitled, Why Cope When You Can Heal? Which is about how to heal from traumatic stress with a focus on healthcare workers, but not only healthcare it can be applied to others who have gone through any kind of trauma. He is the host of a podcast entitled My Wake Up Call and the weekly LinkedIn live show, which starts in a month from now, uh, called No Strings Attached, which I'm going to certainly be asking him to elaborate upon. Uh, so let's go find them. I love interviewing psychiatrists because I got a little history with psychiatry. We don't have a good relationship. I think this guy is going to be. Um, a little atypical. He's waiting for us. Let's go find him. Where are you, Dr. Mark? Where are you at, man? And what do you know? There he is, Dr. Mark Golston. What's up, sir? Well, I'm glad to be joining you, Chris, uh, because uh, I think we're going to hopefully help some people. Uh, at the very least, we're going to start a bromance. <laughs> <laughs> which I am more excited about than anything. Thank you for, <laughs> what a beautiful kickoff. <laughs> you never had a start like that, did you? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you the man. So, you know, um, I'm so, as I mentioned in the introduction, which you did not, you were not able to hear, we were, we were just talking about you behind your back. Uh, I, was, I was letting folks know you have fascinating background and there's a million things that we could we could talk about we could here are some of them here are some of the things we could talk about we could talk your about your work as a psychiatrist which i'm fascinated by i'm of course i'm into my whole life has been in the world of psychology and 
human potential. And I have some judgment about psychiatry. We could talk about it. I do too. We're not, that'll be episode two. We could talk about your work as an FBI hostage negotiation trainer. We could, but we're not going to. We could talk about the fact that you've authored eight books, including the one behind you, Just Listen, which became the top book in the world on listening and has been translated into 26 languages. We could totally talk about that, but we won't. We uh, could talk about your work in coaching with CEOs and executives on developing effective leaders. Uh, We could talk about courageous vulnerability, but we won't. We could talk about your contribution and your work towards uh, eradicating teen suicide by the year 2030. Big deal. Not gonna talk about that. Not today. We could even talk about the fact that you studied zoology prior to going to medical school, which is very interesting to me, but we're not gonna discuss that. We maybe we'll get to some of that stuff if it occurs spontaneously and organically in our discussion, because my preference here is is that what we, we spend some time today sharing with the Tough Talks tribe the specifics of your intention behind your latest creation, which is the book that released yesterday on Amazon, which I bought. I haven't received it yet because it just came out yesterday and they're just not that good yet. <clears throat> The book is entitled, Why Cope When You Can Heal? And there's a subtitle. And you co-authored that with uh, Diana, is it, is it pronounced Hendel? Hendel, you got it right. Yeah. Is she's a pharmacist, is that correct? Well, she, uh, that's a whole other story. Okay. Uh, I, I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call. Yes, you and do. You know that I was uh, vetting her to co-author this book because she was, the, she, she was the CEO of Long Beach Memorial Hospital and on her 100th day, and she grew up there from a pharmacy student to CEO and on her 100th day as CEO, an employee of the month came in and killed his two supervisors and himself in her department from, that she grew up. So she then brought the hospital back to financial and psychological health. And, and here's where she had me at hello. She said, you know, in 2015, we were in good shape and they deserved a healthy CEO, which I wasn't because I kept getting triggered by bomb scares and things like that. Mm. And she said, it was time for me to figure out what was going on with me. And that's when she discovered, I think I have this thing called PTSD. She got to treat it. And now she consults to organizations and companies about leading through trauma and getting through it and having it turn it, turning that into growth. So I'm so excited because in Why Cope When You Can Heal, I focus on the individual. What happens to your mind on trauma and your brain on trauma? And she focuses more on uh, uh, institutions because institutions, even the ones facing now COVID-19, there's institutional trauma because when a trauma happens, she said there's Initially, you pull together, but then there's finger pointing, there's blaming, there's shaming, there's guilting, why this, why that, how come this happened, who didn't do such and such, and you have to lead the whole enterprise through that. So I I think we make for a pretty complete package. I guess so. Dynamic duo right there. Question for you, Dr. G, Uh, why that title? Because as soon as you mentioned it to me, we've only spoken for a few minutes prior to this. And uh, you mentioned the, the title as soon as you had me at Hello when you said the, the title, which is Why Cope When You Can Heal. Why did you choose that as a title? Well, because if you know any really traumatized people, and I've worked with veterans, and even though the book is focused on healthcare workers, it'll work without any changes on veterans. Other people have been deeply traumatized. But what I noticed through veterans and healthcare workers who've been traumatized before COVID-19, if you look in their eyes, Chris, and you say, good for you, you're so courageous, you got over that, they will look back at you and say, I didn't get over it, Mm. I got past it. Mm -hmm. And you say, what do you mean? And say, I'm not the same. 
What do you mean? I'm tentative. I'm cautious. I cope, but I'm not fully alive. And what's interesting, when I shared the title with some of the people I've known, uh, especially women who are more in touch with their feelings, they start to cry. Oh, wow. Wow. They said, I said, what are you crying about? I'm going to cry now. And they said, if only, if only what? If only I could heal. I'm not healed. You know, I cope. It's better than not coping, but I'm not healed. So before we get into the healing process, I appreciate that. I love your passion, man. Uh, I truly acknowledge you for your commitment to service. I studied the hell out of you and um, all you do is serve. So I totally acknowledge you right now for that. Um, before we get into like the house, because, you know, as I mentioned to you the, the other day in preparation for this, that my pledge here and, and the only reason I even do this podcast is because I want to, I want the audience to take something practical away. And you all, one of the things I love about your work, and it's so abundantly clear everywhere you look at any of your work, wherever it is, you bring, you do my favorite thing, uh, the, the combination of simple, profound, right? You boil you boil stuff down into simple, accessible, immediately digestible and applicable, useful ways. So, and that is my pledge here, right? Here's a tip for your audience. Um, uh, I'm a great believer in experience near language versus experience distant language. And by experience near, it means that as you hear it, you not only understand it, you feel it and it gets in. Whereas experience distant language, you have to think about, you have to evaluate, but often while you're thinking, you're getting away from it really impacting you because you're so busy trying to figure it out. <laughs> and, so, and I learned, and I learned that, you know, cause I was a suicide, I focused on suicide prevention for 30 years and none of my patients uh, died by suicide and none, none of them. And, and I think, and I've been trying to figure out what is it that I did? What was different? And it's come together in Why Cope When You Can Heal. And we actually call the method surgical empathy. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you think of someone who's traumatized and they're locked inside, you have to go where they're at uh, because they can't make it to where you're at. And when someone feels understood, that's halfway there, but they can't make it sometimes that far. But when they feel felt, when they feel less alone, they lean into it and they start to cry. After Anthony Bourdain killed himself, I wrote a blog called Why People Kill Themselves, It's Not Depression. Got 500,000 views in eight days. And what I talked about, and this is also in Why Cope When You Can Heal, is uh, depression contributes to being suicidal, lost job, lost marriage, they all contribute, but there's hundreds of millions of people who've gone through that, who aren't suicidal. But again, as a student and a, a boots on the ground practitioner of suicide prevention, one of the things I observed is at the end, and this is what I'm to, is they feel despair. And if you break the word despair into D-E-S-P-A-I-R, they feel unpaired with reasons to live, hopeless, helpless, powerless, worthless useless, meaningless, purposeless. And when they all line up, pointless. And what happens is they pair with death to take the pain away. But if you can pair with them in the dark night of the soul, in the hopelessness abscess, in the dark night of the soul, that's why we call it surgical empathy, they lean into it and they start to cry. Here's an example of the difference between clinical empathy, which is good, and uh, surgical empathy. And tell me if you can feel the difference. So if you come in, clearly, you know, you're not a happy camper. And if I say, so uh, do you feel that you're depressed? Yes. How long do you feel you've been depressed? Some time. Uh, how's it affecting your sleep? Uh, I'm not sleeping well. Uh, and so I'm checking boxes. So feel how that feels. There is, there is a clinical distance, but if instead I say, Chris, you're feeling depressed, aren't you? Huh? 
I'm feeling depressed, really depressed, scary depressed. Is that true? Yeah. And there are times when you feel it so deeply, you don't know how you're going to make it till sunrise, because sometimes it happens at, in the middle of the night. Is any of that true? Mm. Yeah. Take me there. Take me to three in the morning. But can you feel the difference between that and my checking boxes? If you can't, you better check your pulse <clears throat> because you're joining my world. Right? It's like you're handicapping yourself to get to where I'm at. Yeah. In fact, so hell yeah. Hell yeah to that. So here's it. So, so there's techniques in the book about surgical empathy. If you're worried about a teenager because they're all shut down and we know the depression rate, anxiety rate, and sadly suicide rates are skyrocketing amongst teens. There's three questions that I suggest parents ask. Okay. Uh, and when you do this, don't do a face-to-face -face conversation, heart-to-heart, -heart, unless they initiate it. Teenagers can't stand heart-to-heart -heart talks that you initiate. What's going on, honey? Uh, so you want to do it while you're doing an activity with them. And you want to slip it in as naturally as possible. And, and, you, say, and you say to them, um, can I ask you a question? Now they might say, what? Because they're thinking, here we go again. A lecture disguised as a question. Here it comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say, what? And you say, and you say to them, at its worst, how awful are you capable of feeling? Wait, hold on. Did you say at its worst, how awful are, are you capable? capable of feeling? Yeah, wow. Which That's is how much pain are you capable of feeling during all this? And they're going to go, what? Yeah, just think at its worst, how much pain, how awful are you, how much pain are you capable of feeling? They're going to look away because this is a, this is a tender conversation. And you say, look at me. And they're going to say, pretty awful. And you look at them and say, pretty awful or very awful? Okay, very awful. You pause, you let it sink in so that they, you're leading them through this. This is surgical empathy. Mm -hmm. and, you say, and when you're feeling it at its worst, how alone do you feel? Pretty alone. Pretty alone or all alone? Okay, all alone. And then the third question is, take me to the last time you felt it. And something magical and actually transformational and healing happens. Uh, and they might say, what do you mean? I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I don't want you to be alone in hell. So take me to the last time you were alone in hell. And when someone describes it so clearly to you, when your kid says, well, it's just, the other night, it was 2.30 in the morning. I couldn't get back to sleep. Uh, I felt like, you know, punching a hole in the wall. I hit my pillow. You know, if you must know, I wandered around the house looking for one of your uh, sleeping pills. And I didn't, and, and, and I just felt like I was going crazy. And then the sun rose. And what happens is when you get someone to describe something so clearly that you can see it, they refeel it, but they're not alone. And Why is that so important? That opens them up. How often do you feel this? Regularly? And, and then there's something that we have in Why Cope When You Can Heal called the distress relief exercise. And actually, I encourage people during their, this time, and here's a takeaway for your listeners and viewers. So we encourage people to create a distress, uh, a distress release journal using the exercise. And the way it works, and get a separate journal for this. This is going to be very important. And picture someone who cares about you, living or dead, mentor or parent, and imagine them having this conversation with you. And I'll tell you why it's important to picture them. Imagine them asking you these questions. Uh, you write down the day and date because you're keeping a journal. Uh, and, they're, and they're going to say to you, what just happened? You write it down. And then imagine them saying, what did you think when it happened? And you write down, I don't know what to do. 
What did you feel? What just happened? Really scared, spooked, a little bit almost panicky. Then the next step is the most important one. The, what you want to do is get them to express the impulse instead of acting on it. What does it make you want to do? Mm. Oh, that's a neat question. Yeah. What does it make you want to do? Okay. Well, I, I, I feel like drinking a bottle of wine. I feel like uh, yelling. I feel like breaking something. I feel like smashing something. I feel like running away. And then you tell them, take a deep breath. And the next question is, what would be a better thing to do? Write that down. And then the last thing they say is, why would that be a better thing? Because you want to you end it with insight. And what you're hoping they'll experience, or you'll experience because you're doing this with a journal. I mean, I have six dead mentors and I can pick any of them. And what happens is it always ends with my missing them and feeling grateful and blessed that they were in my life and they believed in me when I didn't. Hmm. Um, so... Uh, and so what happens is usually the better thing to do is having this conversation with you because it makes me remember how grateful I feel, how blessed I feel that you were in my life, how you cared about me, you thought I had a future when I didn't. And see why I, we uh, suggest people bring up the image of someone like that because when you can picture someone talking you through it, you get a surge of something called oxytocin. You feel a bonding. You feel less. What is oxytocin? Oxytocin is a hormone associated with bonding. It goes through the roof in young nursing mothers. And mm. I think it's necessary because when you're a young mother and your, your infant will not go to sleep, they're screaming. So instead of feeling that reaction, like you just want to throw them away somewhere, you're able to bond with them through all the high cortisol stress they're creating by screaming or not going to sleep. So high oxytocin counteracts high cortisol and high cortisol is associated with stress. And, and, and it's interesting because what happens with a lot of men, the male mind, is they deal with high cortisol by mastery. Go out, take the hill, solve it. And I'm not against solving it. Yeah. But there, but it's not the same thing as that feeling of connectedness. That's why when we have spouses hmm. or kids, they, they, they don't want advice. They want to feel felt because if they feel felt, their oxytocin goes up, their cortisol goes down. And since you're a student of this, the amygdala hijack that they were about to be in settles down. And what's the amygdala hijack? When, when stress happens, cortisol goes way up, it sends a signal to our body, get ready, danger's coming. And it also uh, triggers a part of our brain called the amygdala to send the blood flow from our upper thinking brain to our lower survival brain. Is that so the reptilian brain? The reptilian survival brain. And, and what we, we either fight, flight, or freeze. So a deer in the headlights, the expression of a deer in the headlights is you're looking at an animal in which they're just, they're frozen because the blood flow has just gone to the survival brain and it's either fight, flight, or freeze. And so what happens is high oxytocin starts to settle down the cortisol, starts to settle down the amygdala hijack, and blood returns to the upper brain so you can begin to think. You know, <laughs> this is so great. You're, we're having a conversation in a conversation right now. The conversation inside the conversation is about the internal pharmacy which goes back to that, that little snide comment I made earlier, <clears throat> half in jest about, you know, me having an, actually not even half in jest about having an issue with traditional uh, psychiatry, which is that it doesn't rely, it doesn't speak to what you're saying. <laughs> uh, 
right? They're like, it depends upon the external pharmacy, like, you know, antidepressants. So it's interesting. I'm an outlier. You know, I, I didn't try to be an outlier, but I'm, yeah. but you can see things as an outlier that people who are inside the box can't see. The problem is when you're an outlier, the barriers to entry are huge. So I was on, if you look up CNN, PTSD, Goulston. What was the last word? CNN, my last, my, my name, Goulston, G-O-U-L-S-T-N. If you look up CNN, PTSD, Goulston, you'll see a segment where 10 years ago, maybe even further uh, back, there was a time in which uh, the military changed the criteria for proving that you had PTSD. Before that, you had to humiliate yourself as a soldier to prove that you were having PTSD. So they never reached out for help because it was too humiliating. But they passed a law uh, that allowed you to not have to go through that humiliating process. So Don Lemon, uh, uh, who's now a CNN superstar, interviewed me on it. But at the end of the segment, I apologize to the military for how my, my profession has treated it. I say to the military, you deserve better. Well, and it kind of stopped up. He said, uh, uh, well, because I went off script. <laughs> wow. Well, you know what? Good for you. Now, let's. They didn't call me back. <laughs> you don't want yeah, to go I'm, off script. I'm sure you didn't yeah. get hired for that's when you went on your uh, keynote tour for Big Pharma. <laughs> Not. So um, let's backtrack just a skosh here because I want to make sure that we, we, we everything you just covered, I, I want to super clarify that for the audience. So, so let's go back to the, um, the distress relief exercise and let's just itemize. So what are the steps? So you get a journal that's for its, for its own sake. This is the distress relief. So this is healing, not coping. This is an exercise, right, right in healing from trauma. So take us through the, the questions. Well, the first thing is you, you think of a mentor. You think of a mentor, and then there's steps where you imagine them talking you through it, but you're expressing your feelings and your thoughts as opposed to trying to keep them down. One of the things we, we also... Uh, bring out in why cope when you can heal is I, I, it's a real mouthful and we weren't able to improve on it but we have something called the 12 phases emotional algorithm makes me want to throw up but an <laughs> algorithm why algorithms are interesting is that they give you step-by-step -step, uh, things then when you follow them you get a result and so what we've identified and this is true for veterans I think I learned more about it from veterans than healthcare workers who are just, our book is actually premature because now the focus of healthcare is let's just, let's just get the COVID taken care of. They're not, even though healthcare workers are crying on television about what they're seeing, um, they'll allow them to speak, but nobody really wants to address it because, because we're still in the survival mode. But the 12th, this is what goes on of a healthcare worker or a veteran. See if you can track with this, Chris. So initially there's the trauma. So the trauma is something that is way beyond anything you've ever experienced. And then picture this in your head. The trauma is a shock to your system and what you feel is horror. Instead of you know maybe having one patient die a month in the emergency room, you're having five in a day, including one of your colleagues, including someone who didn't get to see their family member at the end. And so, you see something horrific then you see, and then what happens is when you get away from it to your apartment, you start to feel terrified and you start to feel fragile. And we call that the horror, terror, fragile trifecta. And you're heading towards overriding panic. But what happens is you're so duty bound and uh, committed to the mission that you push away thoughts because we can push away thoughts by focusing on other thoughts and you push down feelings, you repress the feelings. And what enables you to do that is you get a rush of adrenaline because adrenaline comes in not only when we're excited, it comes in when we're in danger. 
And so that adrenaline comes in and you think, geez, I don't know how I'm gonna make it to the end of the shift and voila, you've been going 48 hours. And you feel superhuman almost on the surface, but you know it's taking a toll inside. One of the analogies we use, Chris, is imagine that every time that happens to you, horror, terror, fragile, don't panic, push away thoughts, push down feelings. It's like you take a cat that suddenly started screaming and you locked it away in the cellar. Then you take a second cat, and a third, and a tenth, and a hundredth. And so then what happens is when the danger eventually goes away, as it does with veterans, why do they have PTSD? They're not in a war zone. Well, what happens when the danger goes away, the adrenaline insulation goes away. I'm sorry, the, the, what? the adrenaline? Yeah, the adrenaline makes you feel super powerful. NBA athletes can play a game on a fractured leg because of the adrenaline rush. Okay. So the adrenaline can push you to be, do almost superhuman things, but it's very short-lived. And then what happens is when the danger goes away, as with veterans, and the adrenaline insulation goes away, all those screaming cats want to push out through the door. And what happens is there's this feeling that you can't open the door just a little bit because they're all going to rush through and rip you apart. Wow. So I wrote a book called PTSD for Dummies, and I wanted to change the diagnosis to what people live, and I finally gave up on it because what people with PTSD really live is re-traumatization avoidance. Re-traumatization avoidance, RTA. Oh. And what does that mean? What they're afraid of is they don't know how they made it through it the first time. And when you say to them, uh, you're so strong, you got over it. And they said, no, no, I got past it. When you said, do you think you could go through it again? They look at you and say, absolutely not. I don't know why it didn't take me down the first time. And so all the symptoms of PTSD are efforts to avoid feeling re-traumatized. Re and what would re-traumatize you after the dangers passed? It's all the thoughts and feelings that you pushed away to survive. All those 500 screaming cats in the cellar wanting to come out and eviscerate you. So surgical empathy goes in and is able to pull out one cat at a time. And the way we do that, and where we already have some pilot uh, studies going, is we pull together groups. Uh, and it's still premature because they're still busy surviving. You know, you don't want to feel those feelings or those thoughts if you have to function. I mean, it's not the time to do it. Just get the mission done. But uh, the way it work is we're going to have them all go through that algorithm trauma, horror, terror, fragile, overriding panic, push away thoughts, push down feelings, danger passes, uh, and then it all wants to come back. And then what will help people is they'll share. So what was the first horrific scene you saw? When did it terrify you? And then we have something called the 12 words, because when you give people language to express what they're feeling and they express it with you or in a journal or with a therapist and they feel it, it lowers it. So the 12 words include words such as anxious, afraid, overwhelmed, angry, ashamed, lonely, alone, numb, exhausted, and uh, covers many of the words. And so when we push people to go back to those stages in the algorithm, we get them to express using that uh, distress relief exercise. So what'd you feel when you, when you saw that horrifying, terrorizing thing? I felt afraid. I felt numb. Well, say more about that. So can you see what you're doing is you're pulling it out of them and letting them get it up and out safely. Safely is a critical term there right can you track, you track with all this chris yes good <clears throat> and i have questions though uh i can imagine that a lot of people will see so you said safely and that's a big if right because i mean how how safe do people feel like they've put a lot of effort people have been people with ptsd or what's the appropriate term rta reach re well, 
avoidance, re-traumatization avoidance, right? avoidance. Right, and it makes sense that I would like to avoid being re-traumatized. But I imagine that going into, getting away from the coping, going to the healing effort and the work, work, I presume it's, it, it, I don't presume, it's work. And it's scary work because I'm afraid of being re-traumatized. So I'm afraid of opening the door and they're all charging out, all 500 screaming cats. That's scary well, as shit. You, one, of the, yeah, one of the reasons it works is there is a term, you should look it up, it's called sense of coherence. It was first described by a fellow named Aaron Antonovsky. And he said that when you take something that's chaotic or confusing in someone's mind and you make it comprehensible, it then feels manageable. And the third part of sense of coherence, and then when it feels meaningful, it leads to optimism. So when, when we describe mm. those phases and people track with it, they say, oh my God, I mean, I'm, uh, I, it, it, you, you're helping me comprehend what's happened, what I've gone through, and what I need to do to not just get through it, but get over it. So, it, so that algorithm makes it comprehensible. Giving them the distress relief exercise makes it manageable. And giving them the emotions to express and feel as they're going through that uh, is a way to help get them through. And it's meaningful, personally meaningful, both to them and people who help them because it restores feeling alive. Oh, now that's interesting. So, so I had the thought a couple times during our conversation here that, um, so, so getting, they got past it, right? That's survival. I got past the trauma and then there's getting through it. Is there a, such a thing? You go through it and then you, and then, then you see if you can get past it, but you don't want it. You know what it is? You know that? Oh, my, I got it backwards. Yeah, you go get through it, and then you then you get past it. You know, I, I hadn't thought about it till this interview, but this is probably the best example of the phrase "waiting for the second shoe to drop." Yeah, you think about it. Right. Yeah. Well, is it is it realistic to entertain a third stage there of getting past, getting through? Sorry, getting through, getting past getting something out of is is that even a consideration there's a lot of things called there's something called post-traumatic growth you know because when you get through it it can make you stronger and we didn't finish all the phases of the algorithm yeah. people can check that out in the book but you know after the ptsd comes in you can become disabled which sadly we're seeing with a lot of veterans which means you can't function or you can be recovered which means you can function in your coping but that doesn't mean you feel alive because you, you don't feel healed. And what you say is, hey, coping is better than not coping. You know, I, I, I don't wanna fool around with that. But as I said, you know, I, what's different? They say something's inside is wrong. I don't wanna mess around with it uh, because I'm coping. But what will happen is a lot of times when you're coping, you don't know peace, you know exhaustion. You don't know joy. You have fun occasionally because you, you're, you can't let go of that inner guard that protects you from all the cats coming out and ripping you apart. I can't stand the notion of simply surviving through life because I, it upsets me terribly because I'm convinced that we are all designed to thrive. And maybe for people that have experienced serious trauma, that seems totally unrealistic. But when you just said the words to me, and tell me if I correct me if I got this wrong, because you're dropping a lot of mic bombs over here. Post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, I got excited when you said that three-word combo. I've never heard that. I'm not in the world of trauma, but I still have never. I mean, I've heard PTSD. Who hasn't? Right, a million times PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder problem 
try to do the best, survive that disorder you have, well, the thing. Important, but there is growth because see, see here's something that you're gonna to relate to totally. And, and here's, a, here's another tip for your audience. Hmm. Um, one, uh, I'm a psychiatrist and when I've asked audiences, how many of you have had breakthroughs? You know, the audiences I speak to, entrepreneurs, founders, and uh, even the general public, most of the people will raise their hand. And I say, keep your hand raised if the breakthrough was preceded by a breakdown. And the breakdown was not pleasant. It was sometimes scary. But the breakdown led to the breakthrough because the breakdown, what happened is it caused your mind to have to pivot because the way you were going just wasn't working. Um, and, uh, and, and in fact, one of the things I'm a fan of is the Euro step, which Mano Ginobili made famous in the NBA, which is when you're going in to make a layup, yeah. you step to the left or the right against your defender and you make the layup so you don't lose all your momentum. And so I teach that to entrepreneurs, you know, how do you do a Euro step so that when you're going in a direction and you're blocked, you pivot, but don't lose all your momentum. And so one of the, here's the tip. One of the things we used to do with psychiatric patients who would come into the emergency room and it looked like they were gonna act on an impulse. We'd put them on a 72 hour hold, which means for three days, uh, we, we would protect them from themselves. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, because of the profession, they got lots of meds thrown at them. But one of the things that I have used during my life and everybody I coach, I say, whenever you're hit by an obstacle or trauma, put yourself on a 72 hour hold to not make it worse. Because usually when you're hit by that, we can sometimes do stupid self-destructive things. We go on a bender, you know, we, uh, yeah. uh, we drive crazy we yell at people, we kick the dog. And what happens is if you do something to make it worse, the guilt you feel or the shame that you were so out of control can cause you to miss the breakthrough. That makes sense? So if you can- if Well, you put yourself yeah, so like road, paint that picture a little bit more for us. Like, like a 72 hour self-imposed, what did you call it? Well, what we used to put in the emergency room is let's put this patient on a 72-hour hold so that they don't act on a destructive impulse. So what happens is when people have a breakdown, yeah. one of the ways they cope with it, I actually wrote two books, Get Out of Your Own Way, which is this evergreen book about self-defeating behavior. Often what happens when something upsets us, we often do something to make it worse. We yell at someone, we go out uh, uh, and get drunk, we eat something we shouldn't eat. Um, we buy things we shouldn't buy. And what happens is we feel so guilty or ashamed of that, that we can miss the breakthrough several days later. Because so, to circle back, as I said, I spoke to audiences and, I, and nearly all of them admit that yeah, most of my breakthroughs were preceded by breakdowns. So if you're having a breakdown, not a breakdown, but if you have a big option, Take the voice of one of those mentors who's guiding you through the distress relief exercise and just imagine them saying to you, don't do anything to make it worse. <laughs> you know, you can get, I, do, I do this with my clients and I say, you can even use expletives with me. You can say, F you, I, I want to make it worse. Yeah, yeah, I know you want to make it worse, but don't. 72 hours, I hate you, Dr. Golston. Yeah, you can hate me. That's okay. That's safe. But don't do anything to make it worse. And what happens is you're talking yourself down using a mentor in your mind from DEFCON 1 to DEFCON 4. And then what will happen is often the breakthrough can then make its way into your mind because it doesn't have to work around guilt or shame. So, so the don't do anything to make it worse. Then, okay, so I'm like, I'm your patient or your client. I go, fine, fuck. All right, fine. So what do I do, doc? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. It's so easy. I just, I can just go get a couple bottles of wine for that's pretty easy. Well, well, all right, what am I supposed to do over here? Well, what I would do is I would internalize those steps in that distress relief thing. Okay, so, okay you, what you're going to do. So do the exercises. 
do the exercise that are in the book. I have something called, they're in the book. I have something called the Dead Mentor Society. I had seven mentors, they all died. And I can pick any of them to talk me off a ledge when I'm, I'm pissed off about something and I'm going to act out. And I'll tell you, I've done it. I've internalized those steps so uh, deeply. So I, so I go through them. So for instance, here's something I used to do. I, I, hopefully, you know, this interview is going okay. But in the past, I would say, oh, I talk so long. I got off on tangents. I never finished a story. And I'd call on one of my dead mentors. And I'd say, and my last one was a guy named Warren Bennis, big leadership guy from USC. I miss him every day because mm. we need leaders. And I'll say, Warren, Warren. He says, you woke me, you woke me again. What's this about, Mark? Oh, I did it again. I was on a podcast. What am I ever going to learn? I start stories. I don't finish them. I don't get to the point. I frustrate the host. And then he'll say, well, what the host think? Uh, I think he wants me back. What? And then, and then what my dead mentors say. That's to me, amazingly brilliant. Yeah, what they say to me. They speak to you the way you should be speaking to yourself, but they don't even exist anymore. This is amazing. <laughs> and here's what they say. What a brilliant hack this is. So here's the hack. What they say to me now, because they're resting in peace. I, you know, I have this, this banter with them. You woke me up again. I was resting in peace. What yeah, is yeah. it this time? Yeah, what the? And so I go into it and here's the hack. They say, Mark, Put a sock in it. <laughs> and then I hear them saying you. I hear them saying that to me and I smile. I remember them. I miss them. I'm grateful to them. Right. And when I lean into missing them and being grateful, it's kind of like my worries go away. That's like the treatment for you know the Buddha second arrow thing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Look, I know we're coming up, we have a time constraint here. I, this is like um this, well, just FYI, yeah, I definitely want you back. You're an amazing guest. We have so much more to talk about. Uh, and I hope that you will bless me and, and my tribe with, with, with a, um, a, a cameo or a, a, a version two and three and four. Well, here's a preview because I'm, here's a real teaser you're going to like because you're going to be a guest. Uh, starting in mid-January, I'm going to have a weekly LinkedIn live show. I'm going to announce it on Marshall Goldsmith's LinkedIn Live thing because he inspired it. And it's called No Strings Attached. Yes. Where my guests and I give away ideas with no strings. Yeah. I've given away things that people listening in could make programs out of. You can mm. make a pro, if you're an HR person, you can make a program, three programs out of some of the stuff we talked about. You don't owe me anything. You want to monetize it, go monetize it. You want to attribute it to me? Attribute it to me. You don't have to. And 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 my guests and uh, and it's interesting. I reached out to my podcast guests and I say, hey, I want you to come on this thing. And you're not selling anything. You're giving away immediately implementable uh, tactics. And serving. You're you're serving. You're serving. And at the end, you know, in a humble way, you know, you're all going to say the same thing. If you want to find out more about me, here's a website. Right. No selling books, no selling course, no bargain. And uh, because there's too much of that going on in LinkedIn, everybody's hitting on everyone else. And so this is literally going to be no strings attached. <laughs> right. Plus, I have another book coming out that's up on Amazon March 23rd, but you know, and, and you're going to have me back on that because we've already talked machine? about it. And that's called Trauma, Trauma to Triumph, a roadmap for leading through disruption and uh, and thriving on the other side. Oh, now that's what I'm talking about right there. I can't wait for that. Trauma, to, that's it. That's what we were just saying about post-traumatic growth. Trauma to triumph. Trauma to triumph. Take a look at it. I mean, yeah. it, it won't be coming out till 23rd because we got to get this other one out of the door. All right. And you'll have me back on that. I'm gonna damn right I will. Of course I damn will. All right, so I'm going to put all your links and stuff into the show notes. Uh, you've got that. So that's happening. The no strings attached is starting and that's going to be uh, a live thing. Right. But it's recorded too on, on LinkedIn. We're going to do teasers every week. I gave away a, a giveaway. Uh, so if you go to LinkedIn, uh, we are, I'll send you a link to it, but we already did a five minute kind of teaser. And I saw I'm it. Try and get a good. Yeah. Go. It's awesome. Uh, I can't wait for it. I'm Thank excited you. to tell about that. You also have a very successful podcast 
called My Wake Up Call, right? Which by the way, has only has five out of five possible stars as ratings. And you've got 153 episodes. So I'll make sure uh, I put a link to that, My Wake Up Call. And your website is awesome. So I'll put a link to all that as well. My man, thank you so, so much for uh, gracing us seriously with uh, your uh, wisdom, but also with your energy, you know, with your vibe. You're, it's obvious that you are passionate about helping people thrive in life and, and, and heal, heal so they can thrive. And I really appreciate the about you. So here's my last question to you. You ready? Um, I'm well, is oh, yes. Is this the beginning of a bromance or is this a one night stand? <laughs> we got it. You got it, baby. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Winning. Why am I out of focus? All right, man. Thank you, brother. I can't wait to see you again. Same here. Same here. We'll stay in touch. Take we care. most certainly will. What? I mean, what do I say? I got like 20 pages of damn notes over here. Oh, by the way, if you're listening to this on a podcast version, you can't see any of the video. That, that I Oh, man. The last question that he asked me was, all right, I'm going to leave this with a question for you. And I knew what he was going to say. He beat me to it, damn it, because I was going to say the same damn thing to him. This is pretty funny stuff. I had written it down earlier as a note to myself to end with this, and he beat me. He knew it. He beat me to the punch. So what I did, I didn't say anything out loud. So if you're listening to this, what I did was I held up my notepad and it just says bromance established. And that was the answer to his question. <laughs> That's a cool dude, man. I, I'll tell you what, whoo, what a genius. My, he's got that cool combo. Like he's, a, he's not nerdy, you know, he's like smart enough to be a complete nerd, but he's cool too. My God, is he brilliant somewhat experienced near language versus experienced distant language surgical empathy des dash dash spare despair unpaired with reasons to live the i just get his book I, I mean i'm saying that like i haven't read it yet i know because i just ordered it like i just ordered it came out yesterday by the way the time of this we're recording this on december 2nd of 2020 the book was released on december 1st so uh, i can tell i mean i, I can i can uh, endorse <laughs> this guy's book before it even gets in my house. So uh, I'll put all the links to connect with him, his Instagram. His, he even does Instagram. He told me that he's an Instagram guy too. So he's got his podcast. He's got a great website. There's LinkedIn and the LinkedIn live show called No Strings Attached. His podcast again is called My Wake Up Call with Dr. Mark Golston. And uh, yeah, I'll put that all that into the um, into the show notes for you. So we will most certainly be having him back. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. As always, thanks for following Tough Talks. And until next time, create miracles.